The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to The Peripheral. As most people know, I mostly steer clear of politics. I refrain from even giving my opinion about current events or any political candidates on this podcast or on the Generation Y. I figure people are listening to this content as more of an escapism from the real world events. But when it comes to the political theater of today, it's changed a lot over my lifetime. It's become far more polarized, even to the point where conspiracy theories have become commonplace and absurd ideas are thrown out as fact. Whether you're the president or a gamer kid online, your words matter. Not everything is so black and white. Every event doesn't have an agenda. Sometimes there are shades of gray. On today's episode, I speak with Bella, where politics and conspiracy become the root cause of her story. Hi, my name is Bella, and today we're going to be talking about the murder of my sister by my nephew. And when did that happen? It happened in December of 2020, right before Christmas, during a pandemic, out of the blue. Now, you say out of the blue, and I'm sure that it definitely felt out of the blue and abrupt. But what was leading up to this? And tell me about your sister and your relationship. Well, my sister, we were not related by blood, but we might as well have been. I met her when we were just teenagers. We bonded instantly. She was very pure is really the only way to describe her. She is one of those people, was one of those people that had a genuinely good heart and a caring for other people. And I was drawn to that instantly. Over time, our relationship developed into something that I would even consider closer than blood. I don't think blood means a whole lot. I agree. I've never been a subscriber to you have to be close with your family, but that's just me. Same. I'm, well, I, I was kind of raised that you're supposed to be and forgive transgressions no matter what they are because you share blood. And I learned, you know, being a weirdo in the 80s that family didn't really mean too much. And it was my chosen family that really mattered. So when she came into my life, she was such a breath of fresh air. And she was such a person that I could lean on. She was just always there. She was truly an amazing person. And it only got more so the older we got. By the time she was she was murdered, she was doing some really amazing, tremendous things with her life and for the lives of others. When Gray was born, he was her entire world. And he remained her entire world up until the end. She was kind of a single mom in a way. She was estranged from his father. 
although he was still in Gray's life. But primarily, she raised him on her own. And he was diagnosed with Asperger's when he was, I think, about nine. And he was very, you know, high-functioning, I, I guess is what you would say. I certainly don't want to say anything derogatory to anybody who's on the spectrum. But he managed. He was very smart. He was very bright. Funny. He was really funny. But he always had a little bit of a, I think what some people would call maybe like a spoiled streak in him. I chalked it up, as, as I think a lot of people did, to being kind of given everything. He didn't have to want for anything. He had a good childhood and a good life. He did. He had a very supportive mother. She always made sure that he had things. He wasn't a very social person. So she made sure that he was well-stocked with, you know, video games and comic books and, and things that he passed the time with that made him feel better. She liked to joke with him and be friends with him. And they had a really great relationship for many, many, many years until they didn't. You know, there are reasons for that that I'll get into. There was a point where we moved in together. It was myself, my daughter, Michelle and Gray. We all moved in to this really beautiful 1960s ranch house. It was like a dream. We had a huge backyard and a garden and everything was, was really great. That was a very good time in all of our lives. During that time, I got really close with Gray. My daughter also got really close with him. And my daughter's relationship with Michelle grew and blossomed and deepened. And they just got so close. It was just such an ideal, wonderful living situation. Gray had a tendency to fly off the handle. He would kind of go on these rants and in we used to all kind of laugh because it was kind of something that you'd see like in a, in a comedy sketch. You know, there are comedians who their, their main kind of shtick is that they complain about things mm -hmm. and they get really mad. And so it was kind of funny. It's like, oh, here he goes again. You know, he's mad that Taco Bell put lettuce on his burrito and he's freaking out. My daughter would giggle. I think of Dennis Leary or Bill Burr, or even myself, you know, sometimes you, you're responding, but you're trying to at least make it somewhat over the top and humorous, but maybe it wasn't, he wasn't trying to make it humorous. You just all thought it was. I think you, you have to be right. Considering how everything turned out, I, I think that you would have to be right about that. And I grapple with that now. But honestly, there's nothing I could have said to her to change anything. Toward the end, I mean, I did try. So we just, we just lived this kind of like idyllic life. It was super cool. And I eventually ended up moving out. I had entered into a relationship that turned serious. And we decided that we were going to live together. And so I left the fold and remained really, really close, of course, with Michelle. We still hung out. 
a few times a week at least. I still saw Gray all the time. We still did our family stuff. We just didn't live under the same roof anymore. And it wasn't for a few years that things really started to change. So around 2016, at that time, I was living in another state. Uh, My daughter and I had moved. And we had been there for quite a long time. I still talk to Michelle, you know, probably not as much as I would have liked to or she would have liked to, but lives get busy. And when you're a thousand miles apart, but my daughter would go and visit the other state and she always stayed with her auntie. She had been there about two days. She was texting me and she was saying, there's something wrong with Gray. I said, what, what do you mean? And she said, he's so different. He's so angry. He's right now yelling at Auntie Michelle in the kitchen. He's homophobic. He's racist. He's all of these things that I never knew he was. And he really hasn't been very nice to me since I've been here. You know, they used to play video games together. They used to watch The Walking Dead together. They, you know, they they hung out. Even though she was younger than him, like he kind of kid-sistered her a little bit. But she was saying, you know, it's just really different. She said his anger was like the same anger, but like on steroids. He would get overly angry about things but it like wasn't funny or cute anymore. And she had never heard him speak to his mother that way. In this particular instance, he called her a dumb bitch. And my daughter was so shocked that she started recording covertly. She sent it to me and there was something about it that as soon as I heard it, I said, I want you to go to your room. I don't want you anywhere near him. And she was like, Mom, it's gray. I mean, come on. And I said, no, I just really want you to go to your room. I just had a really dark, eerie feeling because I had never heard him speak to his mother like that. There was such poison in his voice. He was almost spitting the words at her. And I could hear her saying, stop it. Don't talk to me like that. And he was saying things like, well, you know, what are you going to do about it? He was spewing a bunch of racist diatribe. And I heard her tell him, Gray, you are Mexican-American. He said, I don't claim that. You are what you are. I don't claim that. I am not a border hopper. So it just continued to escalate it. And my daughter was afraid that he might hit her. Her husband wasn't home at the time. So she did, as I said, and she she went to her room. Uh, Michelle had a room that was set up specifically for her for when she came and stayed. And she ended up staying the whole day in there. Later, she was talking to my sister and kind of like apologizing and saying it's it's going to be so hard 
to hear him speak to you like that. And I, I'm, I'm so sorry. And as usual, Michelle was saying, yeah, you know, it sucks. It sucks. I don't know what's going on with him, but you know how he is. And that was kind of the end of that trip. You know how he is. It's, it's such a, well, I hate to put it, the boys will be boys kind of thing, but it's almost like, yeah, that's what a teenage kid's going to do. And, and what do you do? I know that I wasn't exactly nice to my mother when I was a teenager, but I can't imagine screaming at her for hours. I, I think there were definitely times where we argued, but it was usually over a specific thing. Like, I want to go to a party. She doesn't want me to go to the party. Now we get into an argument. That's normal teenage argument, but not just out of the blue waking up on the wrong side of the bed kind of stuff. I don't know. It sounds like it was just venomous the whole time. It truly was. From what I heard, I just, I got the worst feeling. And I, I try to never speak ill of her ever. But unfortunately, she made excuses for him and apologized for him up until the very end, including the very last conversation I had with her. That's what moms do. It is. Lo and it, she yeah. loved her son. To the ends of the earth, she loved her son. So here's the, here's the bit where it might get a little touchy for some people, and, and I'm sorry, but it's the truth. This is the truth. In 2016, they grew apart politically. Um, my sister was a very liberal person. She was a very kind person. She wanted the best for everybody. She was a proud Democrat, and he was not. He was a very, very proud, uh, I'm not even going to say Republican, because that doesn't fit what he was. He was right-wing, hardcore right-wing. It seemed to happen almost overnight. You know, one minute, there's this kid and he, he wasn't a kid anymore. He, he wasn't. He was a, a young adult. He still lived with her. So he, he changed from this kid that was you know, super, super, super into video games. And just like to be in his room on his X Xbox and playing video games and chatting with people, yelling usually, fighting with people online. You know, the, the pretty normal teenage boy stuff. He went from that to this really, really, really angry, jaded person. All he wanted to talk about was politics. Uh, he said hateful, horrible things about anybody who had uh, opposing views. And it just continued to get worse. And at that time, when she would correct him, most of the time, he would pipe down. He would settle down eventually. But come to find out later, he hadn't settled down at all. He had escalated. But we didn't know that. We didn't know that until after it was all over. And that's when we found the trail that he had left on the internet.
What happened on the the day or night of the event? I'm still not sure to this day exactly what happened. The one person who was home is very traumatized and has been very um, tight-lipped about it. I can tell you what I know. I can tell you how the day unfolded for me. I got a call from her, and normally she didn't just call. Normally she would text and say, hey, can you talk? Do you have a minute to talk? She was just very polite. And this time she just called. And I was so surprised to see her name pop up on my phone. And I was like, oh my gosh, because we hadn't talked um, at this point, probably. It was it was kind of the holiday season. You know, there had been Thanksgiving and everything and Gray's birthday and her birthday. So things were busy. And so I, I answered and she was out shopping for packing supplies to mail presents, one of which was my daughter's present. She had bought her the new Jeffree Star palette, the makeup palette that my daughter wanted so desperately. And so she was picking up all of the tape and bubble wrap and boxes and things like that. And so we were just talking, catching up. And somehow we got on the subject of our kids. She used to always call my daughter the kid. And she said, how's the kid? And at that time I was having issues with my my daughter and just teenage stuff, you know, back talk and this, that, and the other. And so I was just kind of venting to her about, yeah, you know, she's, she's going through it and we're going through it. And she says, yeah, I know what you mean. Gray broke another Xbox. This is like the fourth one he's broken. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she said, yeah, you know, his, his anger is getting worse. He's getting in trouble at work. He's always mad. Yeah, so he broke another one. And Xboxes are hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming she's helping him buy another one after he breaks these things. Right. And he, he, well, he did have a job. I'm not sure exactly what he spent his money on. He did not pay rent. But I said, don't buy him another one. Like, are you serious? She was like, yeah, I'm not going to. But, you know, I, did I believe that? No. No, I didn't. Uh, because I could fully hear her voice in my head saying, all right, I'm going to give you half. You have to pay the other half. And don't you do this again. And I am not victim blaming. Please believe me, I am not victim blaming. It's something that I do with my daughter as well. I, I'm a single mom. I have coddled my daughter. I have given her more than I should have. I know, I know. I think that Michelle just didn't want to be in the midst of, of his bits and his anger anymore. She just, you know, she would kind of, you know, band-aid whatever was going on. Yeah. The Xbox would give him something to focus on and not her. Right. Until he broke it again. So yeah, we, we kind of got, you know, a little deeper into the conversation and I, I said, so tell me, tell me about this, this behavior stuff. Like, tell me about this anger stuff. And so she starts telling me, you know, he's just, I don't know if I can even, if you even want me to go here, but I'm going to. Um, she said, he's just, he's really into Trump. He's really, really, really into Trump. And he walks around every day so angry. 
and and all he wants to talk about is Trump and and all he wants to think about and you know he's he just has this chip on his shoulder of just anger for anybody who's a Democrat or there's something about even with her kind of naysaying smoothing over everything that was going on there was something just not right about this conversation and I always made sure to never say too much negative about him to her. You know, I was it was common for me to say, Gray's being an ass right now. That That's fine. But anything that kind of would have crossed over the line of maybe attacking her parenting or her child's fundamental existence, I didn't go there. But that day I did. And I said, can I ask you, do you get the feeling that he's maybe an incel? And she said, no, 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 no. He's just, you know, kind of gross and doesn't really take a bath. And he's just such an asshole that he, you know, nobody wants to date him. And I said, well, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to say this to you, but I'm getting incel vibes from him. I'm getting really scary vibes from him, Michelle. And she just continued, oh, no, 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 no. You know how he is. And one of the last things she said during that conversation was, Grace is an asshole. You know how he is. But I don't back down from him. And I said, honey, it's not like me to say this, but I think maybe you should. I have a feeling that he might hit you it's so funny now that i thought that hitting her was the worst case scenario of what could happen the worst case scenario in my head was that she would call me and say he hit me he put his hands on me he got so angry that he put his hands on me Especially with her, you know, quote, not backing down. So, you know, we wrapped up the conversation. We talked about a couple other little things. Got off the phone. And then I ended up texting her about an hour later to follow up on something that we had talked about, you know, something unrelated. Then she texted back and we went back and forth for a few minutes. And that was the last time that I ever spoke to her. And I still have those texts in my phone. I've I've gotten a new phone. I can't bear to delete them. And I just wish that I could go back and beg her, especially in light of everything I found out later. How long was it before you heard what had happened? So the next night, I had gotten a message on Facebook at... I think it was like 1.30 in the morning and I didn't get it because I was asleep. The next morning I woke up and I saw that her stepson had messaged me and he just said, are you awake? So I wrote back. At the time it was like seven in the morning and I wrote back and I said, of course not, stupid. <laughs> I'm asleep. It's one thirty in the morning. You know I'm old. And he said, can I call you? And I said, yeah. And he he said, okay, I'm going to take a break at work. 
he was at work. <laughs> he said, I'm going to take a break at work in about 20 minutes and I'm going to call you. And I said, okay. And then, so I went back to my messages and there was another message from someone that I don't talk to regularly. And she said, have you talked to Michelle? I said, no, I haven't. And Michelle happened to be the name of my stepdaughter from my previous relationship and who was always in trouble. But they spelled their names differently. And I, I had assumed that that's what she was talking about or who she was talking about. So I just said no. And, and then it was like a lightning bolt hit me. After I sent that message, I, I thought, wait a minute. I noticed the spelling of the name. And then I noticed that the stepson had messaged me. So it was like a game of clue. Like, what do these things have in common? So I texted Michelle. And I just said, hey, are you good? Because I'm getting a couple of weird messages. She was an iPhone user. And it went through as, as blue, which meant her iMessage was on, but she, she didn't answer. Normally, she answered straight away. So that was the longest, you know, 15, 20 minutes of my life until my phone rang. And he just said it. He just said it. He said, Gray killed Michelle. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I thought, surely I had heard it wrong. I thought, I don't know what I thought, because honestly, there's a block of time right, right there that I don't remember. And it doesn't, it doesn't register. I can't remember anything. I remember where I was sitting. I was just sitting on my couch. I remember that, but I don't remember anything else. And then I just sat there like, what am I going to tell my daughter? You don't even know what's happened. You don't know anything. You just know she's dead. That's all I know. And that he had committed suicide. So I told him, I, you know, I need to process this and, and I need to talk to you when you, when you get off. And he said, okay, I, you know, I want to tell you what I know. And so I just kind of sat there and I waited for my, my daughter to wake up. And I remember telling her the only thing I could think of to say was Auntie Michelle is no longer with us. The look on her face, I can't even think about it. She was such a constant in our lives. She was such a constant in so many people's lives. She was such a bright light. I know people say that. I know it's very Dateline to say that someone lit up a room and all that. And I'm not going to go that far and say she lit up a room. But what I will say is that she was a philanthropist. She gave her time and her money to cancer research. She did the, the cancer walks every year. She organized. She volunteered. She was always there for everybody but herself. She neglected herself for everybody else. So those are the things that I can say about her. And I can say that in, in our lives, she was a bright light and she lit up our rooms. All of your interactions with her were amazing and great because that's just her personality. And that's what really makes this so much more tragic because of all the people 
nobody's deserving, but she was the least deserving. Truly. She was just fantastic. She really was. We didn't, we didn't fight. We didn't bicker. We had very few disagreements. And the thought that she was gone was just unfathomable. And I could see it in my daughter's face that it was unfathomable to her as well. She was so young at the time. She was a teenager, but, you know. And then I had to tell her what happened. And that was when she just crumbled. And I wasn't able to make it better. And the, the, the crazy thing, the horrifying thing, is that Michelle wasn't there to make it better either. Yeah. The victim here would have been the one to comfort everybody. Yes. Take care of them. She would have been getting chicken and JoJo's from the deli and, and making sure everybody had food and making sure everybody was all right and running errands and just sitting quietly and letting you grieve. She would have been that one. She she would have been that one. And I kept having the like craziest feeling of I want to call her and tell her what happened. She was the person you would call. She was the person you would confide in. Absolutely. She used to do this thing where whenever anything was was wrong, especially at the the end of my relationship that I had moved out for. It was dying. It was on its way out. And she never would say, hey, do you want to talk or do you want to, you know, she would never do that. But what she would do is she would call me and say, hey, let's go get a coffee. Or let's go get our eyebrows done. Or, you know, it was just some random errand or some random thing that she knew that I would enjoy. And so she would come and pick me up and we would go and, and just hang out. And if I wanted to talk about it, I would. And if I didn't, we would just laugh and and talk about other stuff. And I always felt better. Oh, I lost a lot that day. And when I later found out more of the details of what happened, the absolute horror made the grief a thousand times worse. How did you discover that how did you find that out well there were two different ways first of all i got the phone call that i had been waiting for which was her stepson he had spoken to his father uh, his father's actually the one that had called him and told him what happened so he had spoken to him and he had gotten the details about you know as as far as the father could or was willing to relate and so from what we know, Eric and Michelle, which was the, the husband, had gone out to pick up pizza that night and they were going to eat at the restaurant. But Michelle, being Michelle, said, well, why don't we just get it to go so that Gray can have some too? They got a pizza or two. They went home. They all sat and ate at the table together. Later. The husband would recall that, curiously, there was no fighting. It was very calm, which had not been the case ever for the past year, especially. And so after dinner, everybody kind of went to their respective spaces. 
Eric went to bed because he had a job that he worked very early in the morning. I think he had to be up at around 3 a.m. And so he would have to go to bed at like 6.30, 7 o'clock, somewhere around there. And Gray went to his room and Michelle went to her office to do some work. From what I understand, uh, it was it was a newer house. I never even got to visit that house. They hadn't been in it very long. But from what I understand, her office and Gray's bedroom were right next to each other in a hall. And then the master bedroom was kind of on the other side of the house. It was a pretty big house. And I can't tell you exactly what happened because I don't know. But what I've heard is that for some reason, Michelle ended up being outside of Gray's bedroom door. What I believe happened is that he called her to the door. I believe he texted her or he called her and said, Mom, can you come here for a minute? When she got to the outside of the door, he just started firing through the door. Like I said, my memory is very weird around this, but I believe there were 21 shots total. This is all through the door while she's standing outside of his door. Most of it, yeah. So what I can piece together is that he probably shot maybe 15 through the door, definitely hit her. She was found across the hall in the bathroom, wedged by the toilet with a bullet hole between her eyes. So what I'm thinking is that she tried to run and he chased her in the bathroom because there were a couple of bullet holes in the bathroom as well. Like one was as if he was firing at a person who was standing because it went into the shower stall at a height where you would hold a gun. And then he looked his mother in the face and shot her right between her big, beautiful brown eyes. And then he went into his room and he shot himself. He didn't die right away. During this time, the the alarm started going off in the house and they had a very fancy alarm that will tell you what's happening. And it was saying gunshots. So Eric wakes up out of a dead sleep and he's hearing the alarm blaring and, and it's saying gunshots, gunshots. So he's running through the house. He runs into Gray's room and he is lying there suffering because he didn't, he didn't die. So then Eric is freaking out and he starts looking for Michelle and he needs to tell her that her only child has a gunshot wound to his head. He needs help. He's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. And the only thing he can think of is to find her. She'll know what to do because she always knew what to do. So he's calling for her and calling for her and calling for her. And he's thinking, why isn't she hearing this alarm? And me. And so he runs out to the garage to see if she's gone and her car is there. So he goes back inside and he's going to attend to Gray. And then he notices the bathroom. 
And he goes in there and, and there she is. And that was when his world just stopped. His whole family is gone. Yeah. yeah, everybody. Everybody he lives with is gone. And I don't know how long it took Gray to succumb. I don't know if it was at the house, in route, or at the hospital. I don't know. He did. He managed to shoot himself twice. I don't know how he pulled that off, but it was wow. a twenty-two. So I don't know. For the true crime-minded people, you would say it's impossible to shoot yourself twice. If the first shot is not fatal, you can fire again. And I know the type of weapon he was using. You can pull that trigger very fast. Yeah. But ultimately, he did He did succumb. Then we started to find out, because we were all so confused. We were all so confused. And it was actually a couple days later, the stepson had gone to their state because he actually lives here where I live. And he had gone to their state to be with his dad, try and figure things out. So he he actually called me and said, I'm just going to give you this this handle that Gray always used for video gaming. And I want you to Google that handle with quotes. And I want you to see what he's been posting all over the internet and handle is just an, his internet name his internet profile yeah it's a certain one that he used initially for video gaming it was actually the name of i believe a video game and then he added some stuff to it and he used it for 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 literally everything he used it for like banking and you know everything his handle for everything yeah so when i did google and, you know, of course, I can't see anything that would have been posted on 4chan or any place like that. Uh, I could only see what he posted that was, like, readily available to the general public. Yeah. I've, I've been too scared to try and find anything else because what I did find was bad enough. Yeah. I know some of it was essentially talking about his disdain, his absolute hatred for his mother. Yeah. He was calling her names online. He was saying she voted against her own interests. Uh, he, there was, there was one post uh, that I think I, I sent you where he said he was disavowing her if Biden won. Because it, remember at this time was the, the big hullabaloo about the election and how the election was stolen and they were having to recount votes and they were having to do all this stuff. And it was, it was, it drug on forever. We didn't know what was going to happen and who the president was going to be. And then you, I'm sure you remember this, this big mess, this big thing. And it turned very conspiratorial. I mean, it was already there, but there was people claiming lots more than, you know, just a stolen election. There were people claiming that the entire pandemic was, a hoax the entire pandemic was uh, essentially created by liberal elites to control the populace the vaccine was evil and population control there were so many conspiracies that are still being repeated to this day 
at that time. And I myself stopped talking to several of my family members and friends because they would try to explain adrenochrome to me. They would try to explain how every Democrat in office is a pedophile. Precisely. And his posts uh, all across websites and social media were exactly that. It was very uh, QAnon-oriented. He referred to Trump as Lord and Savior. He talked about adrenochrome. He talked about the Pope. He called for the assassination of the Pope. He called for the assassination of Nancy Pelosi. He said that he was joining a militia. He was calling for war on so many websites. He talked about the deep state. I couldn't even wrap my mind around this being the same kid who was my nephew, the same kid who I binged The Walking Dead with and hung out with. And this is a completely different person. Yeah. He actually killed her the day that they came out and said that Biden was the clear winner, that there would be no more recounts and that Biden was the president. He had said online, if Biden wins this election, I am disavowing my mother. He never said, I'm going to kill my mother. He said, I'm going to disavow my mother. And the day that this happened, you know, I'm quite sure he had been gearing up for this, and I'm, I'm sure that he knew all day exactly what he was going to do. I didn't even know he had a gun. She never told me that he had a gun. Especially during that last conversation, I'm sure she knew that I would have lost my ever-loving mind. She never told me. She never told anybody. Because I have a friend that was very close with her. And after I moved away, they would hang out all the time. And they were in the car probably about a month before she was murdered. She answered a Bluetooth call. It was from Gray. And he was flipping out because California was making him sign some form or do some extra something to get this gun that he wanted. That's where they lived was California. And he was just freaking out. And she was trying to calm him down. And when they hung up the phone call, my friend said, are you kidding me? You let him have a gun? (laughs) Somebody whose response to filling out an extra form or having to checkmark an extra box is rage. Rage. Absolute rage. He said there was so much rage in that phone call that it was actually making the speakers sound rattly because he was yelling so loud through the speakers in the car. Yeah. And, and again, you know, I am not blaming my sister for what happened to her. And could she really tell him no? No, there was nothing she could do. He was of age. He was, at this point, he was 26. He can do whatever he wants. Now he was living under her roof. Uh, Mm -hmm. She could have said, not under my roof, I'm sure. But, you know, would I have done that? Would any parent have done that? Or most parents? You know, we we always want to say, like, what we would do, what, what people should do how people should react. And I mean, the truth is, that's bullshit. 
we can all armchair it from the comfort of our own home and see things so clearly when we're just listening to a story or listening to somebody else's story. But when you're in it, you're a mother, you're clouded by your love for your child. Your judgment is not the same. And we all want to think the best of our children. We all want to think they would never do such a thing. But there are telltale signs to people who are about to commit a mass shooting. There are telltale signs and red flags to people that are going to commit some sort of atrocity. And if anyone had known beforehand, besides just his anger and rage issues, if people had seen the things he was posting online, if she had known, or if anyone that was involved had known his online behavior along with his self-isolation and all of these aspects, maybe that would have been enough. Maybe. I, I don't think so, yeah. actually. You know, I don't think, I don't believe he left any note or manifesto or anything like that. I, I believe the trail of breadcrumbs on the internet is all we have. Mm -hmm. We're all Latino heritage, including him half he was half to watch him become this right-wing racist horrible human i would have never expected that i would have never in a million years expected that and i've seen it i've seen it online i've seen a lot of his racist diatribes i've seen things that he wrote that i simply cannot believe that he wrote and you can feel the anger coming out of those words on a, on a computer screen. Sadly, I think we can see it every day just getting online. We can see it just going out and literally reading any comment section of any news story, any comment section of a Facebook post. You see this kind of hatred, this I'm just going to call it what it is, radicalism. He was radicalized. Yes, he was. He was radicalized. Yes, he was. And when I think of a cult, when I think of somebody being radicalized, I, I always think you have to have somebody mentoring you. You have to have that cult leader who's lying and manipulating you. And it wasn't until the last, I don't know, six, seven years that I realized that you don't need any of that. You can brainwash yourself online. And I see it happen in so many different ways beyond just the conspiracies surrounding the pandemic and QAnon and all of that. I see it in so many ways and I just don't, it's, it's hard for me. And this is why I've stopped talking to a lot of people in my life because as most people know, I'm very evidence-based. <laughs> if, if there's right. not evidence backing <laughs> something up, if you don't have any way of proving to me whatever you're claiming, then I, I'm just not going to believe it. And, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And if you're going to tell me that everyone is in on this conspiracy and everyone on in one political party or the other is 
bad and uh it part of a satanic cabal or or pedophile whatever it is like well okay prove it to me because that doesn't work for me i just can't believe something on the face of it i need evidence and i'm no fan of politics i am ask me how i identify politically disgusted that's how i identify it's just disgusted same same same. that's it for me it's definitely horrendous to see something is is just you know there were so many ways this could have been prevented there's so many times when you know you think you could have done something differently but you know there's nothing you could have done if you didn't have the information you didn't know what he was doing online and even if you did and you told his mother we don't know what her response would have been i think she would have confronted him honestly and i think he might have killed her then yeah would have escalated sooner yeah yeah i really don't think there was a winning scenario for her i i I don't this had nothing to do with the way that he was raised this had nothing to do with with anything except for, like you said, you know, self-isolation, mm-hmm. delving into the darkness of, of certain parts of the internet, yeah. getting further and further down the rabbit hole. And I knew him his whole life and I never heard talk of conspiracy. I never, I never even heard talk of politics up until late 2015 is when that started. And and now, you know, I, I, I have to say, coming into this election year and knowing what lies ahead, I was gifted a healthy dose of PTSD from this. And I've worked on it in therapy. I've, you know, I've tried to live my life uh, without being a horrible human being. I, I still track my daughter on her phone. She's 22 years old, and I still need to know where she is all the time because my biggest fear is that I'm going to lose her. It's irrational, but also, you know, that year that that all this happened, which was 2020, I lost eight people in in a one-year span Mm -hmm. between late 2020 and late 2021, including my sister and my father. I lost people from COVID. I lost people from suicide, murder, and just illness. That it's sudden illness. My father was a sudden illness. That year span really did a lot to me. But by far, this situation that I'm talking about today, I feel like it changed my brain chemistry somehow. It does. I have, does. I have been diagnosed with PTSD now. PTSD does rewire your brain, does damage your brain, whatever you want to call it. It absolutely changes you. And that's why it's so hard to treat. You don't just get over it. You don't just one day feel better. You have to address it and actively treat it. And it's hard because it doesn't happen overnight. I still, it's four years later. And I, I still can't, I don't want to say I can't think of her fondly because of course I do, but I still can't 
recall good times and laugh about things or, or get a chuckle. I I can't, I'm not there yet. I was really hoping that I would be because she deserves that. I remember her for what she was and who she was. She deserves that. And, and she herself would be telling me that, come on, but I can't, I can't get there. And like I said, with the election coming up and I'm, I'm starting to see things amp up even more than they already have been. I'm seeing this escalation. I'm, I'm seeing the craziness. I'm, I'm seeing the anger and the vitriol and the, the, all these things I'm seeing online. And although I hate the word triggered, let me tell you, I'm triggered. It is triggering. Yeah. It's terrible because most of it is online. Most of it is incubating online and getting worse. But if we were all to go outside and feel grass under our feet, talk to our neighbor, talk to the person at the coffee shop, talk to the guy at Home Depot, whatever it is, I think we would all realize we all want the best for each other. But when you live online, there's no compassion. There's no empathy. And it's not just polarization with politics. There's just a complete and utter lack of empathy from people online. And everyone gets what they deserved. It's really disheartening to me to see that. And not that I want to go off on a tangent, but everyone references the movie Idiocracy. And it's this funny, people get stupider with time and society's collapsing. But the one thing I think they really did peg in idiocracy was the lack of empathy that people had for each other. I believe you're right. I'm really struggling with, I I hear people say, you know, both sides of the coin. I hear, I believe people are primarily good. And then I hear the, the flip side, I believe people are primarily bad. And after this, you know, I really can't tell you where where I lean, but I can tell you that it's extremely painful. And as I get older, I just want to see some harmony in this world. I hope that someday as a society, we can find a way to bridge these gaps. I don't know if it's truly possible, but I, I can hope. I appreciate you letting me tell her story. I think it's really important. I would hope that she would feel honored and not exploited. And I would hope that she would see the warning that I am trying to put out there. I don't have answers. I don't know if you, if anyone listening has someone in their life that's acting this way, that's, if this sounds familiar to you, I wish that I had the answers. I wish that I knew what to tell you to do, but I I don't. All I can say is get help. Talk about it. Be honest about it. Let someone, anyone know exactly what is going on because you cannot do this alone. Thank you, Bella, for sharing your story. If any of you see signs or changes in people's behavior, especially extreme changes, you should always try to address it or report it 
I know if you're a parent, that's not as clear. I know as a parent, you, you want to think the best of your child. But there are signs, and hopefully this story will make more people aware of that. And maybe, possibly, it could prevent something from happening in the future. <laughs>